All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I would typically turn it over to my brother Jeff to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. But since Jeff is off for this weekend's show, I will take care of that. So in the week just past, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up one-tenth of one percent. The S&P 500 was down two-tenths of one percent, and the NASDAQ, rounding out the bunch, was down four-tenths of one percent. Now, for a year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 4.4 percent. The S&P 500 is up 15.9 percent, and the NASDAQ is up 31 percent even year to date. Now, and I know, Joe, We've been talking a lot this year about the equally weighted S&P 500, and through Friday, equally equally weighted S&P 500 is up around 5.6%. So quite a difference between the market cap weighted S&P 500 with the Magnificent Seven stocks and an equally weighted S&P 500, which is up less than 6% year to date. And we always talk about how unusual that is to have you know, the, the, the market-weighted index doing this much better than an, an equally-weighted index, led by our friends, the Magnificent Seven. Seven. You know, not, not like the movie, the Magnificent Seven, the Magnificent Seven stocks, if you will. But this last weekend was last week was pretty interesting. Thursday had a pretty good rally, really good rally. And then Friday, attack of the, attack of the Fridays. Imagine well, that. The, That's well, 1.2. <laughs> Well, you know, we we say the attack of the Fridays. Now, Friday was uh, triple witching, which is an options expiration date where we can see a lot of volume, a lot of volatility. This one did not disappoint. In fact, on Friday, trading volume on the S&P alone was 85% above the daily average volume. So a lot of different with the options, you know, expiring. Also, you know, you can have some volatility the following days after options expiration. And, of course, what do we have coming next week? We have the Federal Reserve, the FOMC meeting and decision coming. I believe it's going to be on the 19th 
when we're going to get the decision, or excuse me, I guess the decision will be on the 20th, which would be Wednesday uh, of next week, but their meeting starts on the 19th. And I think, Joe, you know, if you're a betting man, I think the the odds are we're going to see the Fed push and not raise interest rates and wait for more data to come in. What are your thoughts? Pause. They're going to pause. They're going to pause. They're they're not not going to skip, okay, the skipping thing, you know. They're going to pause. Well, well, and, and we were talking about Thursday. You know, Thursday we had a nice big up rally, and I know when, when all you, Jeff, and myself got together for, for a client meeting in Georgetown, he had asked me, he's like, you know, what was the underlying story of, you know, why we had such a big rally? Because everything here in the U.S., there was really no news, and the market was really driven what happened at the European Central Bank, the ECB. Now, they raised interest rates on Thursday. But what was extrapolated from the speech after the 25 or quarter 1% increase is Christine Lagarde, who's the head of the ECB, gave a speech that sounded a lot more dovish. So I'm not sure if the U.S. markets and the algorithms extrapolated that more dovish tone from the interest rate standpoint to say, okay, well, maybe this is what we're going to hear from uh, Jay Powell and the FOMC on Wednesday of this coming week. I mean, I don't know. But that obviously caused a significant rally on Thursday. And if we hadn't had that nice rally on Thursday, we would have definitely been a lot more negative for the week with what happened on Friday. And so, and, and I think on Friday, what really pushed the markets lower, obviously, was the volatility from the triple witching. But also, we saw interest rates, you know, come up across the board. And we've talked on past programs Now, it seems that the algorithms are tied to the direction of interest rates, particularly the 10-year Treasury. Yeah, the 10-year Friday finished at 4.33, so stands to reason that's, in addition to triple witching, that's why we had that pull-up. One thing about triple witching, and I was talking to a friend that does options. I gave up options for Lent, but (laughs) options now have expiration dates. They're not always the same time like they used to be. So you're not seeing typically as triple witching as volatile as it used to be because you could buy all these different kinds of investments in these different options now. So it's kind of a little bit different ballgame. But well, anyway, the the, the big the big thing the big thing that's really been gaining popularity. You know, we had the meme stocks going back through the COVID lockdowns, <laughs> oh, and yeah, the new the new thing that a lot of the hot money get rich quick artists have been using are these zero DTE or zero date to expiration options. And the way that they were described in an article I read this past week in Market Watch is one of the one of the people they interviewed who's a novice investor, doesn't really know much about Wall Street, he said, I look at it as kind of a lottery ticket where you could make big money quick or you could lose big money quick. And so it's just this gambler's mentality. And because of not only the creation of the zero DTE options but now the increased use of them, it's kind of like the meme stocks were a couple of years ago and all of these Reddit guys and message board folks have been creating a little bit more volatility with these type of options. In fact, I heard as I was driving up to Georgetown yesterday, Joe, or on Thursday, that they've come up with a new ETF involving the triple Qs, which is the NASDAQ index. For these options, and I can tell you, the fast money guys on CNBC oh, yeah. were not were not happy about it. They didn't like the idea. They thought it was very sketchy, 
and said avoid at all cost. And so I would give that same advice to all of our listeners that when you're dealing with options, uh, it's extremely volatile, extremely dangerous, and you can lose a lot of money very, very quickly if you don't know what you're doing. So I'd say leave that to the professional options traders and not get involved in those. When we come back after the break, I want to talk about something that we went over with our client meeting uh, this past Thursday, too, specifically about investing in the huge myriad and universe of stocks and different investments there are now. I just. Well, hold that right there. Great, great lead into the next segment. So let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to MoneyWise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, my brother Jeff is off for this weekend's show. So it's just Joe and myself. So we are free to roam the expansive <laughs> range of topics uh, we'll, It'll we'll be try a to stay slightly less, slightly less bearish. Is that what you're saying? Well, I wouldn't say Jeff is is completely got a bear suit on now. If Dad was on, that might be a whole nother story. Uh, but again, he's he's in a very unique uh, investing situation as he is being in his late seventies. Um, so much different from majority of our listeners here on the Money Wise program. But Joe, you you had an interesting lead up about a conversation that we had Thursday evening. <clears throat> having our our annual meeting with uh, an endowment board. Uh, it was client number one that helped us hang our shingle 34 years ago. Um, and so it was our 34th annual meeting with them up in Georgetown. Great meeting, and I know we had a myriad of conversations and topics that we had, but before we went to break, you were talking about, and, and I think Jeff at first started the conversation and then it kind of evolved to you talking and then myself about how investing has evolved primarily in the vehicles that investors can invest in. And in the last segment, we were talking about zero DTEs, which are zero day-to-expiration options, which we don't deal with at Davidson Capital Management. We would highly warn every listener to avoid them because they're sophisticated products that can be very, very damaging to your portfolio. But unfortunately, they're being used by a lot of the hot money crowd that tried to make money in the meme stocks. So it's a lot of younger investors that actually describe them as kind of like lottery tickets uh, or more of like a gamble. And we all know that Vegas doesn't stand in the middle of the desert because the player wins a lot. Usually the house wins, and that's the same situation with zero DTEs. So, Joe, on this topic, I didn't know if you wanted to expand it, if you wanted me to talk about it. I'll give you my quick take, and I'm going to give a macro point of view, and then Kyle, which he always does as our lead equity analyst, is going to dial. And Kyle loves to dial into the numbers. He loves to dive in, and that's his job. That's what he's great at. But we talked about a little bit yesterday about the university, 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 universe of stocks 
34 years ago with this particular client. And there was a maybe 100 total stocks that John would pick in the portfolio. And I mean, you know, 15 years ago, I did the kind of the same thing. Old, stodgy, dividend-paying stocks, maybe an Apple. And we'd use the same stocks all the time back in the day. But that's evolved. And when you look at the evolution of a portfolio and you're talking about different kinds of investments, and we went over with the clients about, all right, now that universe, universe of stocks has exploded and because of technology. And Kyle has a research tool that we all look at. And we, we don't just find the big, large cap, mega cap stocks. We can find the mid caps, which we have about nine or 10 of in the portfolio right now, or the small caps. Kyle and I are looking at some small cap stocks. But then all of a sudden, this thing called ETFs, which you were just talking about, came into the portfolio, which gives us really, really an ejection seat, if you will, but it also gives us a really quick way to apply uh, stocks to the market and maybe certain sectors. We had a small cap ETF or a large cap ETF, and you could quickly overweight a certain asset class if you need to without having to be right on five or six different stocks. And then, of course, we talked about individually, uh, individually, uh, individual bonds. But that's it's just changed so much, Kyle. And even Kyle and I scour the universe looking at even some of the newer ETFs and how can we utilize technology to give better outcomes to our clients with, with in reducing volatility. But that's my well, macro point of view, but it's amazing how that's changed in 34 years. So, and, and a lot of this, and, and a lot, there is a lot of free technology out there for all investors that they can have access to. Now, obviously they're not going to have access to the high level sophisticated systems that we have as professional asset managers uh, for one, they're very expensive, but also you have to know how to utilize them and leverage that technology in order to extrapolate the information that you're wanting to look at. And and I know Jeff was telling the story, you know, back in the day when, when dad was, was the lead portfolio manager, uh, he would always get these flip charts that are paper flip charts. We would get them every single week that had updated data in them, and these are the charts that he would look through. Well, now we have an electronic version of that system through a company called MarketSmith, which is part of the Investor Business Daily. But through this system, we were able to create multiple customized screens. Our very first screen is up to 22 fundamental data points that we want a company to score very high in before we would even take a look at it. So this the system allows us to extrapolate over 8,000 individually listed stocks and condense that into a much smaller list. And then from that list, we can take the next multi-layered steps that we go through in our research and analysis process to finally selecting the individual stock that we're going to buy in our portfolios. And as I said in the meeting on Thursday night, you know, when you're looking at any one stock in our portfolio, I can assure you there are hours upon hours upon hours of research and analysis just on that one name. Now, for some of our listeners, like, oh, I don't want to do that. That's just, I just don't have the time. I don't, I don't have all the systems and technology and experience y'all have. That, and that's fine. I mean, that's one of the primary reasons why our clients hire us at Davidson Capital Management, because that is our job. We are the master of one trade, and that's managing money in-house and doing all of this research, and it's what we love to do. We eat, sleep, and breathe it. But we have access to this technology. Now, for the, for most, you know, Mom and pop investors that are out there, home gamers, home <laughs> gamers, as you want to call them, you know, the creation of ETFs, you know, exchange traded funds, which 
are structured similar to a mutual fund with a collection of individual stocks or individual bonds in a portfolio. But then that wrapper of individual stocks, it trades on the open market like a stock. So the price is constantly changing throughout the day when the market is open. So we have moved away from no-load mutual funds now for any listeners that are participating in a 401k. In a lot of instances, mutual funds is all you have options to get invested in. And that's fine. It's better to be participating in the market and investing for your future and your retirement with mutual funds. But if you're not participating in your 401k or don't have a 401k or just doing investing outside of your 401k, the way to get good broad-based diversification but give you the speed of getting in and out of the market is through exchange-traded funds. And, Joe, you alluded to the ejection seat. And as we've explained on this program, every single one of our portfolios at Davidson Capital Management is built on a foundation of indexed exchange-traded funds. Now, we have a certain percentage allocated to that index, and it's not just a SPY or the S&P 500. It's a collection right now of four different exchange-traded funds to create kind of our custom index base. And as, Joe, as you said, we use that index base if we needed, you know, God forbid, geopolitical event, terrorist attacks, something dramatically happens, something dramatic on, on Wall Street happens, we're able to raise you know, 15, 20% cash in our portfolios in less than a minute by utilizing these exchange-traded funds. We don't have to go through our individual stock names to find out, okay, which one of our children do we like the least that we want to get out? Do we want to get out? That takes too long. The exchange-traded funds allows us to get money out very quickly. But then on the flip side, when the market makes a turn and we want to get money in the market quickly, but we just don't have the individual names that we want to buy at this moment in time, but we want to participate, then we can use the index base to get more money into the market on the other side of a corrective move or a big pullback in the market. We've been using that the, the ETFs and mutual funds. We've been using this successfully for the last 34 years. And so that would be a big recommendation that we would have for any listener or any home gamer is build the base foundation of your stock portfolio on an index base of exchange-traded funds. Yeah, Joe. Well, talking about exchange-traded funds a little bit, and I think, yes, we use them on the stock side, but we also talked in the meeting about last year how we actually shorted the 10-year with an ETF, and we had a positive the ten-year what? The ten-year Treasury. That's 10-year right. Ten-year Treasury. So we we knew it was like okay, what's the 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 easiest play that I, in my career that I can actually know that we knew interest rates were going up. Why would you not use an ETF that's nearly the, an ETF to take advantage of a quickly rising interest rate because bond prices are going down? And we did extremely well in that position. But I think that that's but you have to know about it. But let's see, you have to know about it. See, that's the thing. That's the difference between a professional money manager that is eating, sleeping, and breathing this versus maybe someone who's doing this at home is unaware of these different types of exchange-traded funds or security options available to provide different levels of protection in their portfolio or giving them the speed speed of mobility of getting money in and out of the market. But really, when it comes down to, to everything at the end of the day, Joe, Everything we're talking about still requires vigilance. It still requires active management. And that is what we feel is so lacking in the financial service industry outside the walls of Davidson Capital Management. 
So let's take our next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, did a little bit of a, a, a you know, investor education segment before we went to the bottom of the hour break talking about just the you know the expansion of different investment options that are out there for investors to use it's not just individual stocks and individual bonds anymore of course we long since known about mutual funds and now you know as exchange traded funds have gotten more and more popular i mean there's exchange traded funds for pretty much anything out there you can think of and joe you were mentioning last year we used very successfully an exchange traded fund that's designed to short the seven to ten year treasury yield, which we put that first you know allocation position on January third of twenty twenty two and by the time we got out of that position made close to twenty percent in it and it definitely helped contribute to a positive bond number for us last year um, so there's just a lot of different nuanced investment vehicles that are out there now we would recommend because we have a hard and fast rule that we need to see a minimum of at least three years of history for an exchange-traded fund uh, before we would commit any type of assets to that exchange-traded fund. I will say something that we've been seeing, Joe, and I know you've been seeing this a lot, is a lot of no-load mutual funds that have extensive long-term track records are creating an ETF version, an exchange-traded fund version of that mutual fund. Now, some of them might be a year or two new, but it's an identical identical portfolio to its no-load mutual fund cousin. They're identical. What's really unique about this is it's not just a no-load fund. Some of the biggest mutual fund companies out there that I'm sure almost every investor listening to this show has heard of, even they have these actively managed net ATS now. I was looking for an international option the other day. I'm like, what are the best managed in the 401k world that I live in? What are the best of the best actively managed mutual funds that have a 20 or 30 year track record? Can I get those managers in a much cheaper much more liquid version and much more tax efficient version of a, a, a via managed ETF. And those are out there as well now, just education. So you never know well, if we're going to use those either, but yeah. And, and I, and I left off that piece of education, you know, the big difference between a mutual fund and an exchange traded fund, obviously is exchange traded funds. The price is constantly changing throughout the day. It fluctuates like an individual stock. A mutual fund, you get end-of-day pricing. So whether you sell it at the beginning of the morning or right before the bell, you get that end-of-day pricing in a mutual fund. With an exchange-traded fund, that price changes each and every second. And so it doesn't give you that end-of-day pricing. So it gives you just that much more control. 
uh, in your investment portfolio. So that's something to definitely keep in mind. So I wanted to shift gears a bit because this past week we did have uh, – it was a big week because we had the consumer price index. We had the producer price index come out for the month of August. Now, the CPI consumer price index rose six-tenths of 1% in August after a two-tenths increase in July. So the number was definitely hotter than the July number. And, Joe, I'm sure you're not going to be surprised by this, but gasoline was the largest contributing factor to the increase. Yeah, I think today, uh, Friday I filled up half a tank, and it was like three. 70 a gallon now this is in a little bit of a more affluent neighborhood but i'm like oh thank you thank you so much for there's well, nothing my to vehicle, see here yeah and my vehicle I have to use 93 octane three quarters of a tank three quarters of a tank the other day cost me 91 dollars and 85 cents and that now, was at a very inexpensive <laughs> gas retailer I actually got it at heb which typically has some of the best gas prices i have found in the san antonio area so gasoline was the largest contributor to the increase in the consumer price index. Now, the consumer price index over the last 12 months is up 3.7%. Uh, and then we also saw shelter costs. They rose for the 40th straight month. Wow. Shelter costs, 40 straight months, so over three years straight of shelter shelter cost increases. Now, when you extrapolate the volatile food and fuel and get down to the core CPI. The core CPI rose three-tenths of a percent in August, and that's following a two-tenth increase in July. The core CPI, the core CPI over the last 12 months is up 4.3%. So the regular consumer price index that includes everything is up 3.7%. You strip out food and fuel, the core CPI is 4.3%. Well, you're seeing a little bit stickier than inflation than uh, transitory inflation that uh, well, yeah, no, a, a couple of years ago. But and we, yeah, we've talked about on the show that whole transitory inflation. I mean, this this is the this is the mistake that the Fed made, and why we feel they're going to be keeping interest rates higher for longer because the last thing they want to do is start cutting interest rates too soon to have to turn around, see inflation start to come back up, and then having to go back on a rate increasing path. So they don't want two cream pies in the face in as many years. So, you know, that's why we feel that I would say at the absolute earliest, the first time we would be seeing any kind of interest rate increase is going to be well into the summer of 2024. Now, obviously, it's all going to be data dependent, and things can change in the data. If inflation can, starts to accelerate to the downside, that could give the Fed cover to maybe cut rates sooner or if we see a slower economic downturn. And so just like we said in our meeting on Thursday with client number one that helped us uh, hang our shingle at Davidson Capital Management, we we feel that a recession is coming sometime in 2024, most likely by the summertime, but we feel it's going to be mild in nature because of the strong employment picture that will continue to backstop the economy. Uh, but it's also important to keep in mind, though, the Fed does have tools in case there is a deeper, darker recession, although we're not predicting that and that's not what we're saying. But if there happens to be one, the Fed has the ability to cut interest rates and they have plenty of room to cut. They can also turn off their quantitative tightening. 
which they're allowing $95 billion of their bond portfolio to mature every month and just roll those dollars out and not reinvest. Yeah, well, Jeff. one other thing I wanted to point out, we're talking about gasoline prices, and uh, I believe it was Friday, United Auto Workers, the big three, decided they're going to go ahead and strike. So you had a strike with all three involved. I don't know yet how long that's going to last. It can be over Monday. But what is that, well, what well, that going to have on car prices and inflation going forward? I mean, that sure can't help. But well, and, and part and part of the and part of the CPI that came out this uh, this past week is that used car auto prices are continuing to fall. But to that point about the United Auto Workers and the strike that they're doing in several plants up in the north, right before we began recording this show, Ford decided to go ahead and lay off 600 people uh, that I believe are part of that strike. And, you know, I understand about fair wages. I understand and I can appreciate their point that they feel that the upper-level executives are making far, far, far more money than they are down on the line and working hard and putting these cars together. But hearing some of the pay increases that they're looking for between 36 and 40% pay increases, I, I, you know, again, I feel that's a bit excessive. And I know Ford Thursday night came out and said, if we gave in to the demands of the United Auto Workers, and again, this is according to Ford, that it was going to double their manpower costs. Double. So that's quite a, a substantial increase. Now the they're United, pass that on. They're going to pass it on to everybody who wants a brand new truck. So. That, that's right. The, they're they're the going to pass it. Yeah, they're going to they're going to pass it on to the consumers. So we're going to be paying continue to be paying higher prices. You know, but you know, Bidenomics is working so well. I mean, working so well, right? So. You know, we'll wait and see, but Ford obviously gave their shot across a bow by late Friday after the market closed, laying off 600 of those workers. So so we'll see if maybe the United Auto Workers want to come back to the uh, negotiating table and come with a little bit more reasonable ask as far as a pay increase is concerned. But remember, as inflation continues to move down, pay increases that have been uh, – that, that workers have received, you know, post the COVID pandemic, it starts to finally start to see some real wage gains as inflation starts to come down. But inflation is going to take time. Ken Griffin, who is uh, the most successful hedge fund manager, by far the wealthiest self-made billionaire of Citadel, head of Citadel, you know, he was saying that he feels the Fed just needs to go ahead and stop raising rates and just come to the peaceful mindset that they'll eventually get down to their 2% price target or their price mandate for price stability, but it might be well into late 2025 or 2026 because he was saying, and we've said it on this program, that these interest rate increases take longer periods of time to filter through the economy and that they've really gotten to the point in time from their from the Fed's nominal rate, interest rate, or the overnight rate, that there's nothing more they need to do. They just need to kind of sit tight and let things work its way through the economy because I don't think the Fed wants to get unemployment up to 7%. I don't think they want to send the economy to a deep, dark recession. That's the last thing they want to do. And so they just need to circle the field and just be at peace that it's just going to take more time to bring inflation down to their 2% mandate. 
Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, we were talking about the uh, CPI consumer price index that came out last week with the core CPI at 4.3 and just the regular all-in consumer price index at 3.7. Did come up in the month of August. Really, a lot of that laid to the feet of the cost of gasoline. Thank you for that wise uh, energy policy coming out of Washington, Biden and your administration. Um, And we're definitely feeling it at the pumps again. I know, Joe, you and I were kind of uh, commiserating on how much we had to pay to fill up our trucks. So looking at the PPI, the producer price index, Now, the producer price index increased seven-tenths of a percent in August after a four-tenths of a percent increase in July. Now, on an an unadjusted basis, the index for final demand rose 1.6% for the 12 months ending in August. And then when you look at the core PPI stripping out the volatile food, fuel, and trade services, it increased three-tenths in August, which matches the July's core PPI number and the core PPI ended August up 3%. So you see this difference in the producer prices of 3% for the core, CPI. and then the CPI core yep. at 4.3. And I know I've said this on the program, so our longtime listeners, you'll have to just uh, indulge me. And I'm not trying go. to – I know it's coming. I know. I know I, I'm not saying that I'm an Elizabeth Warren supporter – but she is correct in the huge profit margins that corporate America that corporate America has been making on the backs of the consumer because their prices to produce goods have done nothing but come down. And for all intents and purposes, just looking at the overall PPI is below that 2% target. And the core is real close to it. But as far as what we have to pay as consumers, it's still elevated. Now, The $64,000 question is going to be, we've got data that the consumer is slowing as far as the spending is concerned. We've heard about increase in delinquency rates for the lower middle-income households. But then we hear other statistics that debt servicing costs for the average household in the U.S. is the lowest it's been in 20 years, believe it or not, because of all the savings that is being burned off. So if the consumer does slow and they stop buying, I think what these numbers show, Joe, is that corporate America has plenty of room to lower prices and still be very profitable because they've been dealing with such historic profit margins since we've been seeing inflation, really since you know Joe Biden has taken the White House. 
So they still have room to lower prices and still have a very good earnings report. And so if the consumer does slow, that's, I guess, that, that also leads buffer, to – They have a buffer, and I think that, that – and really that, I think, Joe, leads to our thesis, why we feel that with all the, the economic data we have on hand, yes, it, signs are looking like we're going to be going into recession sometime in 2024 – but it's going to be a very mild recession, I think, for some of these data points and what we're discussing right now on the show. Now, I'm not that, now I'm not telling our listeners, okay, now you're clear to go 100% in stocks. No, that's not what I'm saying. You know, we always have recommended from day one, the 34 years we've been in business, we're a tactically balanced manager. You want to have a combination of stocks and fixed income in your portfolio and tactically balance that based on your risk tolerance and risk capacity. You know, even if you're a young investor, you know, having a 5 to 10% allocation to fixed income is never going to hurt. It's going to provide some downside protection in your portfolio. But I know for most of our listeners, probably middle age, you know, age range, I don't know of too many 20-year-olds or 30-year-olds listening to uh, <laughs> AM Talk Radio. If you are, God bless you. Hopefully you're learning from the show. So you're saying, are we, are we, are we not the hip crowd? Is that what you're saying? We're, I'd like to. I would like to think I'm still hip, Joe, but I don't, old, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, we are we are getting old, you know. I see. Balls, I see <laughs> well, we both go to the same barber. All yeah. you, Jeff, and myself, we we all three go to the same barber. But but I just want to make it very clear. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying, hey, the waters are cleared. You can go do a cannonball in the deep end. No, because let's keep in mind, and we talked about this on past shows, you know, from a seasonality standpoint, September is historically the worst month for the market. And so far, the market for September has been negative across the board. And it's interesting, Joe, because when I look at the technicals, not to get too deep in the technical weeds, I'm seeing this sideways movement, this sideways pattern that really goes back to the beginning of August. And here of late, the market is the S&P 500 has been doing a cha-cha above and below the 50-day moving average. And so the question is going to be, what is going to be that catalyst to either get the market to break through either top-line resistance or bottom-line support? Well, obviously, in this coming week, we've got the Federal Reserve, the FOMC meeting, and Fed rate decision. Their meeting starts on the 19th. The decision will be coming out on the 20th. I think we're all in the camp that they're going to continue to push. They're not going to be doing anything with interest rates on this meeting. There is not a meeting in October. Their next meeting will be in November. So they'll have several more months of data points to make a decision if they're going to raise rates possibly one more time before the end of the year. But really, at the end of the day, the Fed is almost done. You know, that's the key. The Fed is almost done. And history has shown that when the Fed finally stops raising interest rates, that the S&P 500, with a, if memory serves me correct, over 74% certainty is positive three months, six months, and 12 months post a Fed ending interest rate increases. Now, obviously, the markets do not repeat themselves. They do not repeat history, but they definitely do rhyme with history. So kind of keep that in the back of your mind. So this is where you as an investor need to continue to stay nimble, have dry powder ready to strike when you see buying opportunities. Obviously, the month of September, I think, will be providing some of those buying opportunities, uh, hopefully for that year-end push. 
uh, to the end of the year and actually see, you know, again, another Santa Claus rally. I know last year around October 15th was kind of the, the peak low for the year and the market started to accelerate after the October 15th time frame. Um, so it'll be a wait and see, but stay nimble, stay active, know what you own. Uh, in your portfolio, have cash ready to buy, have your buy list ready. And if this is something that you do not want to tackle at all and don't want to handle it and manage your assets on a day-to-day basis, that's when you pick up the phone and give us a call at Davidson Capital Management for your portfolio review and analysis and to sit down and have a conversation with us. And again, you could reach us at 800-275-2162 or email us moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break, so we're going to take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. The Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the money wise program you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com if you missed the first hour of money wise you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past money wise programs You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, it's about time. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for your politeness. Well, as we we like to use and utilize uh, the second hour of every weekend's Money Wise program, really going into investor education, And just, again, the continuing education that all investors need to be paying attention to because with the multitude of investment choices, the multitude of sales outlets, I should say, uh, to be buying different financial products, um, we feel it's our duty having a voice and having this radio show to to continue to provide that, that education. And there was an article that we've had for some time. We've talked about it on past shows, but it's always good to to reiterate. And it's a conversation I know that I have with prospective clients when it comes to investing. Um, and the, the title of the article is The Best Investment Advice Ever. <laughs> now, there's so much different advice out there, different guidance, different forms and levels of education out there. Um, you know, looking at this article, there's a very old saying that I know we have used 
from day one and of course with us uh, you know being in this having Davidson Capital Management for more than 25 years and and again this radio show going on now in our 10th year um, looking at at rule number one for the best investment advice ever and that first rule is never lose money rule number two don't forget rule number one and I believe that uh, that was one of Warren Buffett's Famous advice, and of course Warren Buffett being one of the richest men in the world, um, I think uh, it's good. It's good words to live by. And and when I sit down with prospective clients, the one the one area again of education I like to focus on is teaching a prospective client that it's not as much how well you do on the upside when the market is going up; it's how shallow you keep your hole on the downside it's it's whoever plays the best defense is what's really going to build long-term wealth and longevity of a portfolio rule this rule number 1 don't you think it's kind of unrealistic to say never lose money well and 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 again investors need to keep in mind there's a difference between realized losses and unrealized losses or paper losses uh, maybe rule number 1 should should read more like never put all your eggs in one basket never but put, but define never, that okay. define that a little okay. bit more okay, eggs in one basket never put 100% of your money in one asset class how's that Okay. Never put 100% of your money in stocks. Give us an asset class like, are Never. you talking sector specific, like all in real estate investment trusts or all in the material sector or all in technology? I think I think really the rule number one to me, and it kind of goes along the same lines as what you're talking about with keeping the hole shallow, is there's no, no such thing as never lose money. I mean, every investment – we have never had an investment decision that we've made – in the 25 years as Davidson Capital Management, every investment decision that we've made has not always made money. Some of those investment decisions have lost money. There isn't a single person on the planet that's made an investment decision that hasn't lost money at one time or the other. The the really successful people in investing never lose a lot of money. Now, keeping a that lot of money, shallow. keeping the whole shallow, as you were saying, and 2008 is is a great example of keeping the hole the, the hole as shallow as possible because we were never 100 percent invested in stocks that year, and we were also reducing stocks as that year went on, and so we 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 didn't suffer the 35 our clients' portfolios didn't suffer the 35 40. 50% losses that the investors that we saw come to us in 2009 and 2010, and we asked them, you know, how did you do in 2008? And they said, well, I lost 40% or I lost more than 40%. We knew right then and there that they had way too much money in stocks, if not their entire portfolio in stocks, and it wasn't being managed properly, obviously. That's, that's a key. It wasn't actively managed. It was, and again, that set it and forget it. Mentality that said and forget it portfolio. So, the the rule number one that's never lose money and rule number two never forget rule number one is all fine and good, but it's not realistic because if you're going to have a diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds, cash, and all different types of asset classes, some of those asset classes aren't going to make money in a particular year. Some will. Uh, some will be more successful than others, 
But I think it's unrealistic to expect to never to lose money in, in investing. Because if, if rule number one, never lose money, that means you're never going to take risk. Which means you're going to be you're going to own CDs. Sorry to take your your thunder away there. You're going to own government bonds and hold them to maturity, or you're going to own CDs or cash, or you're going to have cash. Well, that I don't know too many investors that can reach their retirement goals uh, just by being in cash or government bonds. Well, and again, when you are invested and you're invested in the stock market, even the bond market. When you look at an unrealized gain and loss report, if you're showing some unrealized losses, those are paper losses. Those are losses that you have not taken. It's just on paper. It's just numbers. But that loss can be will become realized if you decide to sell out. And what happened to a lot of investors in 2008 is they watched the ride all the way down. And then they got to their maximum pain threshold, and what did they do? They sold. And for a lot of investors, after they did that sell and the selling they did, they have yet to get back in. That's why we continue to face the very thin market conditions, the whipsawing of the markets, because there's fewer and fewer participants, because they still have not gotten back in, because they're still licking and and taking care of their wounds from 2008, because they sold out and turned those unrealized losses to realized losses. But if they had a proper allocation and having their assets actively managed, they wouldn't have suffered as much pain and distress in their portfolio as we have seen doing our portfolio reviews and analysis of prospective clients. So, well, we're going to pause right there. We're going to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our investor education and talking about an article titled The Best Investment Advice Ever. And, you know, again, the old Warren Buffett saying, you know, rule number one, never lose money. Rule number two, never forget rule number one. And us just kind of really discussing how that's kind of unrealistic. Um, Because like Jeff, like you said in the last segment, you're going to run into some type of losses, be it unrealized or realized losses, at some point in time in your investing career, unless you're invested in cash, which isn't an investment, CDs, or government bonds. You know, you have to take a certain level of risk. You have to assume a certain level of risk to have the potential for capital appreciation and growth of your assets to meet your retirement goals or for whatever goals that you're saving for. And, Dad, I know that you wanted to, the big dog wanted to eat a little bit and had something to add to, to what. We were just talking about. Well, I think I originally said this to you when you guys came into the business. Oh, you've been saying this as long as I can remember. These were basic rules of investing. I I honestly think this is a little bit of a Will Rogers comment. I'm not so sure that Warren Buffett didn't steal this from 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 Will Rogers. He never met a man he didn't like. And and what this means, you know, this is, you know, this will be my 37th year starting my 38th year of being a portfolio manager, not counting the four years as a broker and one year in graduate school, so you can add all that up. But when I see this, what this really means to me 
is never lose big money. Never take big losses because you can't come back from them, whether it's financially or even psychologically. Hold on. Let me stop you right there. You just hit an important point. Psychologically. It's the psychological part part of this. Um, A lot of people get in investing. They get in the game, as Jim Cramer calls it. It's not a game. But they get in the game, and they have some moderate success, and then they start building their bet. They start pushing pushing the chips and further as they and further. build their bet, they will get to the point where they lose. Now, to be successful, the one thing that I have learned in my thirty seven plus years, to be successful in investing, you have to invest on a regular basis. You just can't do it once in a while, and if and you need to take a number of positions because as you take positions, your batting average gets better. And to be successful, it isn't participating when the markets go up, as you said. It's not losing as much going down. So I believe my personal success as an investor has come with my ability to sell. I think I'm a lot better seller than I am a buyer. And and, and one thing that we say in this office, and this was definitely true in 2008, and of course, you know, this was prior to me joining the family's firm back. Jeff, I know you were here back during the dot-com bubble burst, bursting of the, of the dot-coms, um, is that when, cert- when the markets and times just don't make sense, when what's up is down and what's down is up, when there's times where the market doesn't make sense, it never hurts to get more liquid and lay in the weeds. I know that's an old saying, Dad, that I've heard come out of your mouth for years, way before I even joined the family business, that... It's okay sometimes to raise liquidity and lay in the weeds until things get a little clearer. Now, it's important for all investors to understand you're never going to have 100% clarity. The waters are never going to be 100% clear. There's always going to be some level of cloudiness. But in situations like the dot-coms, like 2008, uh, even like how you know how the markets have, have started off in the past couple of years, um, things get a little clouded and get a little bit more whipsawish. And sometimes it's better to just kind of raise some cash and lay back until things start to pan out and make a little bit more sense because that's what we've been dealing with is some just counterintuitiveness that we've been experiencing in the market for the past couple of years. You know, and this led me to what we were talking about earlier, rule number one, never lose money, never forget rule number one, this is rule number two. Well, if we were in an environment where government bonds was paying 9%, then a lot of people would be attracted to that. And and there and there's been times in my career when you could do that. And so there's a riskless return that would be that would be historically a good return. Unfortunately, that was occurring when inflation was at twelve, thirteen, fourteen. So you were losing, <laughs> losing to just inflation. like today. Mm-hmm. Just like today if you put too much in bonds versus what each individual person's inflation rate is. But What this really says is what y'all were talking about, is that if you're going to put all your eggs in one basket, if you're going to step out there and take that level of risk, then you are potentially putting yourself in a position to lose a substantial amount of your money and not have enough money to get back into the game, whatever game it is you're playing. 
But, so, but again, but again, we don't look at the market as no, a game. No, it's not a game. It's not a game at all. But if you are if you're a trader, I would say a trader views the market somewhat as a game. I'd agree. If you're an investor, it's a serious game. And so, each individual has to decide what type of is he a trader? Am I an investor, or is this trading money? Is this investing money? So you, there's various pools that you could be doing, but. One thing that you cannot do is you cannot sustain large losses and be a successful investor or trader. So whatever method you use to reduce your losses, your risk, your risk, you're going to have to take that. And if you don't determine a system that allows you to do that, you are not going to be successful. In the long term, absolutely. And, and and see, that's the thing, Dad, is I think for some investors, maybe the traders that view the market as more of a game, more of action, more Vegas style, they have a couple of big wins where they knock it out of the park and that boosts their confidence, that helps them boost their, their maybe their trading and investing ego psychologically. That's when they start pushing over pushing the chips further and further over the line and bigger amounts of chips, then they strike out. Then they take that loss and then their the psychological aspect of it might be a loss so bad that they say to heck with the stock market, I'm never getting involved in it again. And what we've always advocated and always tried to teach is about a proper balance, about diversification. As Jeff said, not putting all your eggs in one basket, spreading out that risk, or to use a technical term, spreading out your beta. But you can't just spread it out and forget it. You have to continue to actively manage it, actively monitor it. And if you don't, then you need to work with a firm that's going to do that. I learned many years ago that I was not a successful trader. Trading was not something that I was good at. I was good at looking at a longer picture. It fit my personality better to be an investor, plus by taking a longer-term view, thinking in terms in the stock market of actually owning the company that I was buying I found that that was more successful. And I learned that as a broker. I, I, I felt comfortable with that. What I didn't feel comfortable with was potential clients or new clients that had to have action. Because I don't necessarily think Wall Street is the best place to get action. I think you would be better off to go to Vegas because it doesn't require that much thinking if you need action. If you like to bet on football games. With, if you need that fix. If you need that. And there are people that need that. But it, Wall Street can be a very dangerous place for people that need that type of fix. I have not run into that many successful people who have traded the market. I've run into many successful investors, very few successful traders. Well, and I think some some other points you made just a few minutes ago when we talk about risk capacity, about taking a big hit to your portfolio, and again, for continuing investor education, the older you get, the closer you get to your retirement, I guess, date and time as far as your age, your risk capacity gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, you know, and I've run into people who have have very large risk, you know, very small risk tolerance, their personal aversion to risk, but they have huge risk capacity. And when you run into that situation, it's really they have their money invested very lazily. It's, it's very lazy money. 
it's very four and five percent returns when they should be taking advantage of their age. So the younger you are, the greater risk capacity you have. And so you have to really marry risk tolerance and risk capacity into one. Um, and that's, again, something else that we, that we try to teach. So just understand, as you get older, your risk capacity gets smaller, and you have to have your portfolio managed and allocated in a way that reflects that risk capacity. What you see on CNBC, and we don't spend that much time watching any of the other channels, but what we see on CNBC is a parade of traders, Parade of people looking for action, daily action, weekly action, fast money, fast money. You know, everything is geared towards trading. trading. Mm-hmm. That is that segment of the market. That is not a segment that Davidson Capital Management has ever participated in, or would feel comfortable being in. And so, when we sit here and we talk about what we see. We don't necessarily feel that that type of program serves the public to the extent it could. That's right. Well, with that, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. So we'll take the break when we come back. We'll be continuing our investor education, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to cover here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing talking about the best investment advice ever article that comes from Market Watch and the Wall Street Journal. Um, You know, Dad, as you were talking in the last segment, you know, you mentioned Jim Cramer's name. And I know there's a segment on his show that he loves to do where people call in and say, am I diversified? And they give him five stock names. And he'll either anoint it as being you're diversified or you're not diversified. And when I watch that, to me, it seems like it's a disservice to the investing public because what he is basically um, validating is that it's okay to put 20% of your money in one particular stock position, to hold five individual stocks, and as long as those five individual stocks are in five different industry sectors, then you're okay, you're safe. And I think that is some of the most dangerous advice you could possibly give with with his type of background and acumen as a money manager or as a hedge fund manager, I should say. Well, I I, I don't agree with it. Dangerous. Uh, it's dangerous if you don't watch your eggs real close. If you only got five, uh, <laughs> you're making I you're mean, making big bets in, in on the, five in the, companies. In the beginning, in the beginning, when I created uh, the philosophy, uh, it became apparent to me that I didn't ever want more than 5% in anything because I learned very quickly that if I bought 5% uh, of your assets in one individual well, position. Yes. If I bought 10 positions, 3.5 of them were going to be losers, but I loved all 10. Mm-hmm. And so when I got it out to 20, then I'm going to have six losers in normal markets. Mm-hmm. And the key was having the six losers not be big enough losers to overset the profits 
that were in the other 14. Well, if I'm Jim Cramer and five is my diversification, I sure hope it's not my six losers because then my every five, those whole five positions would be losers. So to me, that was not enough positions to be diversified. That was very concentrated. And to be that concentrated, I don't want you to think you're diversified. You are not diversified with five positions. I mean, you might you are, be you might be diversified in the sense that you're in five different industry sectors, but you're making a very large bet on one company in that and, industrial sector. And I'll tell sector. you something else. If you limit yourself to that few of positions, you're either going to do extremely well versus the market or you're going to do extremely badly. You're, you're not going to crash do average. You're either going to do real well or real bad. So it's either a home run or a strikeout. Now, you can't build a business on real bad. Mm-mm. Now, he was successful as a hedge fund manager because he was a trader. He was not an investor. Long term to him could have been one day. So when you hear him discuss that, I mean, he can't do a show and do Am I Diversified and have someone giving 20 positions. So some of his Am I Diversified is for TV. For, well, it's for TV. He did it first on his radio show. Mm-hmm. That's where it started. He did that on the radio show. Now, he used to do radio and TV, and his radio show was really a whole lot better than the TV show. He didn't do all that screaming and jumping around like he does, and he would just talk, which I found better for investors to listen to. He was more investor-oriented as opposed to trading. So us saying that we believe you ought to have 20 positions gets back to this fact that we don't want more than 5% of any person's assets in one position. And we say that even in your company stock. If you're investing in your company stock, the stock where you work. Three or 401k. Yeah, we don't want more than 5% of your retirement money in the company stock. And I don't care how great the stock is. Because I happen to have seen times in my life where I worked for companies where people put a lot much, lot more in that, and then the companies went out of business. They not only lost their job, but they lost their retirement. And I, I can tell you that Jeff and I see this doing portfolio, doing portfolio reviews a lot with the petroleum industry employees, putting a lot of their retirement nest egg through 401ks in their company stock. And it's great to be supportive and it's great to love where you work and love who your employer is but you also have to kind of be a little selfish and think about your own retirement needs and your own retirement nest egg and not take too big of a bet because again harkens back to Enron it harkens back to WorldCom I mean it harkens back to those employees years ago who lost their nest egg because there was a lot of cheerleading from upper level management to buy keep keep funneling as much money in it as possible not saying that any companies in existence today are you know doing some of the fraudulent things that that these companies were doing but you always have to look out for kind of number 1 i mean you have to look out for number 1 when you're saving for retirement and you know another thing that i like to teach particularly when it comes to long term investing and when it comes to performance I always like to use the analogy is you have to look at your investment returns like a batting average, like a batting average for a baseball player. You know, let's use Ted Williams or let's use Tony Gwynn. Uh, you know, rest, may he rest in peace. Let's use him as an example. You know, baseball players can get into the Hall of Fame 
with having a great lifetime batting average. But throughout their career, throughout the lifetime of them stepping up to the plate, they're going to have years where they underperform, where they don't have a good year at the, uh, up at the plate and they don't bat very well and they have low numbers. And then they're going to have other years where they have some average years. And then they're going to have some great years where they're knocking the cover off the ball. But what determines whether or not a baseball player gets into the Hall of Fame is their lifetime batting average, and it's the combination of all of those years and how they've performed. It's the same thought process and the same thought pattern you need to have when it comes to investing. You're going to have some below average years. You're going to have some just average years, and you're going to have some great years. But the key is is to have more great years than bad and average years to get your portfolio to the Hall of Fame. Well, here's a little commercial coming in here. 25, this is our 26th year, and I was talking about I'm starting my 38th year as a manager. There was 12 years in there before Davidson Capital Management was formed in which I developed our philosophy. And I developed it managing money under three or four different corporate situations where I learned what was working and what wasn't working. And, you know, I learned on other people's money, so to speak. But I learned through those years that 100% equity made no sense. 100% bond made no sense. But the two could work together in combination. But what I found was there wasn't, there were fixed income people and there were stock people. There wasn't both. You didn't see the hybrid you didn't see the manager that could do both sides. And so as I, as I developed our philosophy, I learned that it made more sense to be 10 years and under. It made more sense to stick with quality because by sticking with quality, you took risk out. By having stocks and bonds, you took risk out. And by doing that, you raised your batting average. You made the hole shallower when you were losing in stocks, you were making in bonds. And so in the beginning, oh, yeah, everyone knows the most money you can make is to be 100% in the stock market. And it works really good until 1987 rolls around and it goes down 25% in one day. That doesn't work very well. That wipes out a number of years in about four hours. And you learn, hey, this doesn't make a lot of sense. And same thing in the late 90s. Oh, yeah, that was wonderful when the dot-coms were going crazy, but it didn't look real good late in 2000, 2001, and two. And, you know, staying the course was really great in January, February, March of 2008. It wasn't very great in November, December 2008. Or, or January, February. there might not be a course to <laughs> stay. You might not have had enough course to, to, to have a meal. Well, and, and again, that goes back to what we talked about a few segments ago about the psychological damage. And I know that we've talked on past shows here on Money Wise where we've talked about the psychological effects when you take these kind of losses and how, again, it, it creates that emotion and that fear. And when fear and emotion start combining into your portfolio, it keeps you sitting on the sidelines or it keeps you less invested in stocks to to really try to achieve and reach your goal for whatever you're saving for, and we're still seeing that today. I mean, again, we're seeing it today because we see the volatility. If there's more participants, more investors in this market, more mom-and-pop investors, we wouldn't see this extreme levels of volatility that we've been seeing. 
If we taxed day trading, we wouldn't have this extreme volatility. Or if having. we taxed high-frequency trading or got high-frequency well, trading under control. That's, that's what I'm saying. That would take care of that problem. The problem is, is that high-frequency trading is paying the note for the New York Stock Exchange. That's how they're making their money. They are never going to go against that. For something to change in that market, it's going to have to come from outside. It's not going to come from within Wall Street. Well, really, what we have to have, Dad, is we have to have a nonprofit exchange. We have to well, have yeah. a nonprofit. You exchange. guys will see that. I'm, I'm convinced. You think Jeff and I will see? I a really think you. I really think you in will our career see that in your lifetime, you will see a national market. I mean, because that will take away the incentive for the high frequency yes. trading. I, I, and it'll be I welcome it'll be somewhere in the central part of the country, away from Wall Street. I, I welcome that day. I welcome the day to where we see a nonprofit exchange and maybe just a one central exchange. Let me correct you. Jeff may not see it. I think you will see it, Kyle. <laughs> well, we're not that far away in age, so it's only about uh, less than ten, 10 years. years in there. All right. Well, let's take our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-275. Two one six two, and if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So going back to this article, there was a couple of other statements, and these actually come from Ben Franklin, and and one of them is an investment in knowledge pays the most interest. And again, one of the reasons why we started this radio show back in late two thousand and five was. Because it gave us a podium, it gave us a platform to provide education because there's just, uh, there's such a lack of education out there. And it seems like a lot of the education that is available has a particular bent. You know, it's trying to push you in a certain direction as an investor to buy an investment product that's being sold by the uh, financial legacy distribution system you know, as we like to call it, it always seems that education is kind of pushing you one direction or another, and we're trying to provide unbiased education. And as we always say to all investors is that, you know, there are so many tools available online for you to educate yourself. You know, when a a pitch sounds too good to be true, it, it most likely is, and there's a lot of vehicles out there to help you to educate yourself. And so as Benjamin Franklin says, an investment in knowledge pays the most interest. You really have to you have to really let that kind of soak into you and utilize the tools available. You know, if you want to look up the broker that you're working with, go to brokercheck.com. You know, someone's pitching you an investment product. Before you sign on the line and which is dotted, look it up. Do some research. Educate yourself. You know, as we say, if you can't explain it to a five-year-old or a 10-year-old in two or three minutes and get them to understand that then you're probably, it's not a good idea to buy. Um, Another statement is beware of expenses. A small leak will sink a great ship. And boy, how many times have we seen that, Jeff? You know, expenses is 
one thing that is easiest to control if you understand that you're getting charged more more fees than than you think you are to begin with. And I see this a lot with we see this a lot with annuities. Um annuities I think are probably one of the biggest Drains. Challenges, I would say, drains on, know, on assets. The biggest challenges to a portfolio being successful is is owning an annuity inside that portfolio, because you're you're basically guaranteeing that you will never even equal a market average performance, because the fees and expenses built into the 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 annuity itself, even if it has the best possible investment options and trust me the average annuity does not have the best the best uh, investment choices possible when you add up average investment choices with high expenses you're guaranteed to be below average consistently year after year after year after year and they're still sold they're they're still successfully selling them to investors every single day, and we've in the ten years that we've done this show, we've almost made this our personal uh, mission. Mission, there you go. <laughs> it's a personal Cru- mission. To, to, crusade. To, to, yeah, I like that. To steer crusade. people away from these types of investments. Now, there's also many other violators. You know, av- uh, uh, the the average loaded mutual fund carries. Uh, an initial sales charge that's equal to multiple years of professional full-time investment management just to buy into the mutual fund itself. They, you know, a minimum, you know, anywhere from two to three percent to as almost as much as six percent uh, is very common in an upfront sales charge. Another thing is buying stocks. You know, just buying stocks through a full-service broker. And you're you're the average ticket price that I see from an from a full service broker is about two percent of the gross purchase, and that is outrageous. So you know for five thousand dollar purchase, you're paying two hundred and fifty dollars in transaction costs. I mean that's 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 a that's twenty uh, times egregious. more. That's twenty times more you'd pay at a at a, at a discount brokerage firm. Yes, well, you better well, be getting good advice if well, you're paying that kind of fee. Well, well, now, if that broker is giving you good advice and covers the two percent, that's one thing. But you and I both know, unfortunately, the vast majority of them do not. Well, the one thing again, talking about fees and and what I I like to to do for any individual investor out there is to understand the two big types of fees. You have your hard dollar fees and your soft dollar fees. Your hard dollar fees are your upfront commissions. You know, those are the commissions that you see when you buy that mutual fund or you buy that stock and you pay that commission and you see it come right off the right off the top. You see that difference in what you're investing and what you actually paid and what was actually invested. That's a hard dollar cost. But where annuities, where non-traded real estate investment trusts uh, where even mutual funds, once you get past that initial sales fee, really get their investors or get their clients is on the soft dollar side. Those are the fees that are accrued daily and taken out daily that you never see. When you get your statement from your, annu- from your annuity, 
that's net of those soft dollar fees. When you get a statement about your stocks or your individual mutual funds, it's net of those soft dollar fees. Those are the fees that you don't see. Those are the fees that you also need to be asking about. And if you're sitting down and someone's pitching you an annuity and you ask them, well, what are the soft dollar charges, they're not going to know what to do. They're not going to know what to do, and they're going to start trying to provide you with the half-truths of what you're actually well, they're, spending. Well, they're going to focus on these guaranteed returns. The G word. Yeah, the, yeah they're going to focus on the G word. Which, again, is not a guarantee. It's just a promise, and it's only as good as the company providing the promise. They're going to say, don't you want... 5% a year guaranteed income for the rest of your life. Don't you want that, Mr. or Mrs. Customer? And it's not quite that simple. Nope. And what they're talking about is the published interest rate, which changes monthly. It's just that hook to get you to sign on that line, and which is dotted to get you into that long surrender charge penalty period so they can lock your assets up. So you have to understand the difference between hard dollar costs and soft dollar costs. And soft dollar costs are in the prospectus. Soft dollar costs are in the information, but you have to know what you're looking for, and you have to dig deeper, as we've always said from day one on this program. And to really summarize this hour is you have to dig deeper well, and use the tools available to educate yourself yeah, before number, you make that Number one, decision. be diversified. Number two, know what you own. Do the research, dig deeper, as you say, and number three, have a always have a mind on what it's costing. That's right. Okay, and with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us at nine zero six zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five. 2162. For my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.